Welcome back to another episode of Endurance Icons, where we sit down with individuals crushing it in the world of endurance sports. We got Jordan Bryden on the podcast today, Ultraman World Champ, Pro Triathlete, Race Director, and Team Manager at uh, the revolutionary DeBoer Wetsuits over there. So we're pumped to talk all things triathlon with Jordan today. How you doing, Jordan? Good. I'm doing good today. It's nice to meet. Nice to see you guys. Um, I uh, I'm pretty excited to get have a little chat today. Nice. And were you tuned into uh 70.3 Boulder today? There was uh just the some of the women finishing up recently and Sam Long with yeah. a big win earlier today. Yeah, I was just just checking it out for sure because I've spent a lot of time training in Boulder. My team, I train with Julie Dibbins and squad. Um, we're based out of Boulder for for a, a lot of the months of the year. Um, so obviously it's a it's a race that's exciting to watch. And I've been a photographer at that race three times the last three years um that it's taken place there as well so yeah i've got i've got a fun connection to that um results were exciting like really exciting race for a second and on it seemed in uh, the men's and women's field but apart from that yeah sam took the win dominantly and so did taylor nib right yeah those two have been on a tear holy 70.3 they're they're tough to touch right now <laughs> yeah no um it'll be it'll be very interesting kind of like seeing how they pan out going into uh worlds in finland on a very very different type of course but you know they're they're both phenomenal athletes that have performed extremely well here in the u.s so we'll see see how the european um races treat them when it comes time yeah i'm interested to see because sam long's been obviously dominating those last three races here all against kind of the north american pros here how do you think he uh will fare against some of the europeans in like a 70.3 worlds yeah, I think it's just such a different racing environment in most of the races in Europe. And from my experience and the races that I've done, um, things don't tend to break up nearly as much. You know, there's a lot of a there's a lot more packs that stay close together. Um, you know, you have enough cyclists that are really, really strong and could potentially, you know, bring back someone who tries to do what Sam did today, you know, um, and then it's a totally different game if if you're conserving energy on the bike and then moving forward into, you know, a, a tough run. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's exciting to watch. And obviously the, uh, the 70.3 circuit is very dynamic right now in general, simply because, you know, the the money going into PTO is closer to that distance. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I know you were talking to us before you have a, a big trip coming up. So we always like to ask our guests kind of what was on your training schedule for day today, and maybe tell us, uh, about the big race you have coming up, uh, this coming <laughs> Sunday. Yeah. Training schedule today is uh flex day. So nothing. <laughs> it's like it's pretty much pretty much whatever you can get in if you feel like you need to loosen up that sort of thing um had my last long run yesterday was able to kind of like do a good job at, at finalizing that and getting through the 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 last piece of the puzzle I'm not someone that um trains in ratios so that's like the only run of the year uh or the only run pre-race that I'll do in ratios so it's a little bit of a different feel and approach but doing it here in uh in Banff um, also just like makes it a little bit more fun and dynamic because you're running through the mountains and um, yeah, it's a good, good little hit of confidence before you get on a plane for over a day. So <laughs> yeah, I'm heading, uh, heading next to Ironman Cairns, 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 I think it's pronounced Cairns. Um, Let's hear your Aussie accent. Come on. <laughs> oh man, I, 
I used to train with Sarah Crowley and I, I think I picked it up at one point there and I just started like talking like her and I was like, oh, I, hope, I hope she doesn't think like I'm making fun of her. I'm just like naturally talking like Sarah, <laughs> but no, um, we'll, we'll see if that comes back when I'm, uh, you know, six days in down there. Hopefully, hopefully going by some guys on the bike, telling them good day, mate. Right? Exactly. So uh, was there a reason you went down for that race? Is there like a certain goal in mind or just a race you wanted to do? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, um, I've had a, I had a kind of love hate relationship with the idea of going to Australia in general. Um, I've only raced there once before. It was 2012. It was the first Olympic qualifying race and I crashed out of it. I think it was one of the only IT races I ever did not finish. And that kind of like put me off from the whole idea of you know going that far traveling so long spending so much money um to race when like you know these things can happen but uh this year the the goal was something a little bit different um i i put a goal out just to my title sponsor speedhound at the beginning of the year and i didn't really talk about it with anyone else but i told them that like, if possible, I would like to be the first athlete to kind of do the three, in my mind, harder world championships in the same year. Um, so I was pre-qualified for the X-Tri world champs, which takes place at Norseman. Um, I came second at Canada Man last year and took my spot there. So that takes place in August, um, heading over to Norseman. And then I had rolled um, my Ultraman world champ spot from um when I was going to go last year into this year as well so the the goal would be then to, to hit the hat trick and maybe just maybe try to find a knee spot if possible oh man that would be an epic year so cool um and what do you, when you look at that start list who are your uh main competitors there I see uh Braden Curry Mike Phillips Steve McKenna on there I think you can yeah. throw some of those guys or what oh it doesn't yeah you know um I'm very much a strategic racer. Like I know, I know my limits and I know that I can't, like, I can't be at the same level Brayden Curry is. I, you know, I work a full-time job. I like handle, handle multiple projects outside of that. So, but the three names you just mentioned all have knee spots already. Right. Oh, nice. So, so that makes a big difference because the roll down is a thing. Um, there are some very like, you know, substantially strong athletes in that field. But I do think that um, having that separation in a race where you can kind of like just internally race a few guys is a little bit different than maybe just like vying for that top podium spot. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it would be obviously be awesome to hit the top, podium, top of the podium. But I think that there is um, a little bit of pressure that's then taken off if your your goal for the race is to do something um, in the qualifying aspect. So the the whole idea of um, going down there was strategic. Like I think um, my teammate Matt Hansen just went and raced Ironman Hamburg, and he was racing like seventy six guys. You know, I'm doing in a continental championship as well, but spending more money to get there um and racing 25 guys so there's a little bit more room for strategic play in those races um there's a little bit more gaps that happen um and i think you just get the opportunity to stay a little bit more mentally tough in those situations because you aren't relying on the pace setting of so many other people um and really just changes the whole dynamic of an iron man 
So you're going to be leaving uh, about a week before the race. So what are some of the key things you're going to do to make sure you adjust to kind of the time change and stuff as you get down there? Uh, I probably won't. I probably <laughs> won't stress about it. Um, <laughs> I naturally am a uh, night owl. I grew up with a dad that worked night shifts. And when I was taking triathlon more seriously by the age of like 12, um, he often wouldn't come home till like, you know, 10 PM. We lived in a small town. We'd go do my run workouts at that point. I'd like, <laughs> I'd beg him to like go out. I did some workouts at like, you know, midnight or one, my teachers saw me out there and you're, you know, you're in grade seven or whatever. And they think you're absolutely crazy to be like asking your dad, if you can go for a run at that time of day. But I naturally like really love that sort of um time anyways so I'm just like my goal is to not stress about it at all and like um yeah I've worked a lot of hours in in my job that you know take me into different time zones so my strategy with the time zone change is to not worry about the time zone change um <laughs> I raced uh Patagon Man a couple of years ago and just didn't sleep the night before because you had to be up at one to get to the race start anyways and when you can, like, I, I find for myself, if I consciously make that decision and just try to like stockpile sleep whenever I can, like in the end, it might not be what we would recommend everyone do, but it seems to work okay for me. So Jordan, you have a lot going on. Like when we were like diving into all the different things that you do, um, I don't want to simplify what a traditional like professional athlete would do, but it's like that they train and then they recover and then they race. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times you have a full-time job, but that's not all the things you do. You have additional side hustles on top of that. And I'm just left so curious, like, how do you make it all fit and still perform at the level that you do? Yeah, I've been in the sport a while, probably longer than almost anyone at this point. Um, I've held a pro card since 2006. Um, I started in 1996 when I was eight years old. So That's I've got a quarter ass. decade. We've <laughs> got a quarter decade of triathlon, at least maybe oh, a little more, behind me. Um, and I'll be honest, like as an ITU athlete in Canada, like you get no support, you get nothing. Like I think I had a five hundred dollars subsidy once when I was going to Japan, and that was the extent of like the federation support I ever received. Even though I was on the national team for six or seven years, um, and it just came down to like the motivation of like, well, I want to do this. Like I may not have the perfect training schedule, the perfect, like, you know, recovery all the time, but like, I'm so passionate about this sport. I really enjoy every aspect of it that I started to just try to find as many ways as I possibly could to pay for the flights, to go to races, to pay for training expenses. Um, and that's where different things started to take off and, and just take hold. I, um, my dad knew how to use a camera pretty good. He was a, a semi-pro photographer. So I would go to a world cup and I would shoot the women's race before getting on the line myself so that I would have the cash to pay for the flight home. And then, you know, I, I saw that was, um, was a little bit harder. Uh, so I, I, I didn't do as much of, uh, the shoot and race <laughs> thing. And I, I started to transition a little bit more into hosting my own running races to try to, you know, compensate for that cash. Um, and at one point I owed a triathlon and put on a pro race here in Alberta. And those were always just like the hustle to like, to try to find a way to get to that next race. Cause I was just like, I just wanted the opportunity to be in the race, even if it wasn't going to be like 
the perfect situation. So uh, the more of those little like um, projects that I, I picked up, the more they became um, important to, to keep going and keep being able to, you know, afford equipment or whatever was necessary. So that led me to seven years or six years as uh, the graphic designer that worked alongside World Triathlon, um, the former, you know, formerly known as the ITU. And I worked a lot of hours during that job for that whole period. Um, like I would definitely say I was working more than a full-time job in terms of hours. And then once I had the opportunity last year to transition to working with the board, um, while I still do, you know, definitely more than full-time hours, um, I, I couldn't believe the change I had in myself when it came to just the lack of stress, when you're not dealing with clients every single day, when you're not out on a bike course and you're like, oh, I have to get that design done by this time because there's this big event happening that's relying on me. With the board, they were like, so flexible in terms of just like wanting to work with me and giving me um, the ability to like create the projects um, in marketing and and create the protein that I wanted to create. So that that just like well the the hours of work are still there like none of the stress is there and so training started to improve and I started to sleep better and all those sorts of things. <laughs> so how many hours of training would you be doing in an average week? Um, good question. I try not, that's another thing that's a little bit different about me is I try not to focus on them. Uh, the numbers. It seems I, to be your vibe. It makes sense. <laughs> I, I like drove myself crazy, um, as an ITU athlete, you know, I was in the human performance lab at the UFC. We, we were always taking like lactate pace numbers, all these things. And it just, it got to the point where like, I could know, I wasn't enjoying the process of trying to be better. I was just trying to be better. Um, and that was a very important spot that I missed. So I did pull back from that quite a bit when I went to train with Brett Sutton. Um, and I really just like embraced his model of like what you have on that day is what you have on that day. And like, like, like so what if you can't hit that number? Like in the big picture, there's so much that you are doing right or, or so many things that can work together. Um, I do keep a train piece, but I can't say I've ever like looked at my weekly hours. I would guess it's around 22 to 26, depending on the week. Um, I would assume that last week I was probably in excess of 30, but like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, I am waking up in the morning and doing a job before I start training usually. So it's, uh, it's probably not on the same level as, uh, you know, <laughs> as Lionel Sanders or Jan Ferdino by any means. But I'm equally impressed because they don't have full-time jobs. Well, like outside of training, like you're doing training and a full-time job, which is so extraordinary. And like, just trying to like bring this whole picture together, like how many hours of sleep would you say that you get on average, especially being uh, a night owl? <laughs> yeah, I, I try for seven. I try. Um, I would say I, yeah, I generally probably wouldn't get much more than that. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I, I kind of created that, you know, that, for lack of a better term, hustle mentality within myself. And it's once you're in that, it's it's really hard to get out of it. It's really hard to like take a step back. I really struggle on race weeks um, because like I do put 
barriers up with sponsors I do push projects aside in advance and often I'm just like I'm just like I have nothing to do I'm always thinking <laughs> every other week of the year so in those situations it's, um, it's a little bit harder to to control but I think you can teach yourself to um, you know just hustle and, and and try to get after things as much as you can I I've been in yeah different aspects of the sport as well so it's not like I've been doing the same thing for 25 years you know I've worked in photography and design and um, obviously the athletic side of things and um, those things have all worked together to keep me just really excited about the sport uh, so I don't I don't feel like I'm you know going to the grind every day I get to like I get to wake up and like talk to amazing athletes about what their goals are and um, you know, I get to work on a project, like we just finished a very interesting research project with Blumenfeld and um, Rachel Zelinkos and, and some of these like really high performing athletes uh, in the water that uh, it's just exciting, exciting to see what we can do. Um, and so then I can kind of take that, like, like I said, less stressful environment into my training. So with that, uh, like research project, would that be like DeBoer working with like Centara Tech on one like that? Or is that just a purely DeBoer project? No, yeah, that one, that is the, uh, yeah, I think there were some some sneak peeks. Um, can't talk about what we did or yeah, what we course. learned or what we're going with on that one. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a project for 2024. That would be my indication that I would say that we're working on. Um, but it's been, working with, um, with the bore in that space was pretty interesting. I don't want to deviate from the conversation um, direction that we were going, but one thing that I was surprised by when I started working um, with this this company is how many other companies do like literally no research on their mm -hmm. products. And it's just like, you know, they picked it out of a catalog because it looks good. And then that factory makes it and they slap a logo on it. And like, there's no actually understanding of like hydrodynamic drag. And like, we put, have a have a huge um, emphasis on CDA in the water uh, and like trying to understand how that then uh, translates with bodies that move consistently differently. People have different strokes, they roll more, they, more, more, they roll less. So trying to like create that understanding um, was pretty interesting to see in triathlon as a whole, because like, the bike companies got it nailed now. Like there's wind tunnel testing everywhere. We got these like crazy carbon shoes on can create a shoe in something like six weeks and like have it production ready. And like, and in the wetsuit space, it was just like, 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 where is, where is the tech? So yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a deviation, but it's something that um, definitely is, you know, on the, the front of my mind, but it doesn't like stress me out per se as an athlete. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to deviate from that. I, I love these kind of convos. Like, and do you think that's a, like you were so modest about it, but really like DeBoer has put together like an incredible group of athletes, like pretty much all of the best in the world, I would say in like long course triathlon. So like, are people choosing them because the wetsuits are so good or is it a combination of both the wetsuits are so good, but also a selling point to them is like, we're actually doing the like hard work on in the, yeah, in the field to make sure that these are the best and that we're going to continue to innovate. What are the, what are the selling points looking like to get all the best athletes on there? Yeah, it's, it's half and half for sure. Um, I, 
came into the role at the athlete selection period and I took over basically like who was going to be on the team with the exception of like Christian and Gustav and Jan all had like long-term contracts with the company but um, apart from that it was fun to just like really pick and choose because I'll be honest like if you looked at the the top 60 on the PTO list I probably heard from 95% of those right. <laughs> in terms of athlete applications um, so that I think does tell you that people were interested for a reason as a pro um, and then we were able to you know look at not just high performers that are great people and people that you know I, I think if they weren't in triathlon you could still you know go hang out with and and not feel like they are um you know too aggressive or or too into themselves so we tried to like start with like that aspect but also then fill the team with um athletes that like i think a lot of other companies would just turn their head at and like uh, you know i'm i looked at um trevor foley uh you know nobody was going to give him anything I think because they didn't really see him coming up and I just like that guy is so talented and works so freaking hard sorry I'm not allowed to say he's talented his whole thing is no talent <laughs> <laughs> but he does work very hard uh, Luciano Tacombe who's won 70.3 in Cozumel before but no one really would have seen him as the guy that would go ahead and win Ironman in Brazil um so like finding athletes like that, that are kind of those diamonds in the rough that just need a little bit more push is like exciting to, to follow and like sign. And then like, you know, try to grow that relationship into 2024 or 2025 as, as those athletes start to grow. But the marketing is, you know, it is marketing. No one's going to say that like any of our competitors aren't just like putting marketing dollars out there. They want to sell a product and, and we do the same, but we do really want to make sure that the science comes first, the athlete comes, you know, in combination with the science. Um, and then from there, like we were able to, to develop stuff that's just never been seen before. And that's uh, the benefit of working with like a, a smaller company. So cool. So do you think there's still lots of innovations that can come from the, the wetsuit world? And are we going to see some more coming in the, the, the next few years? Yeah, we'll definitely see some evolutions next year. Um, nice. We're we're working um in different areas than maybe people would uh yeah we're, we're working <laughs> treading we're working lightly on, i like it yeah we're working in, in very different areas than just like it's rubber and it floats and let's make it go through the water like this fast like we're there's a lot more to um the science that we're paying attention to at this point you know i guess you could look at the model that we've seen um established with cycling in that like originally it was like oh you just get down and get arrow but you know body position is a part of that heat management is a part of that the ability to uh, you know hold whatever position in the water comes into play so all of those things you can somewhat manipulate with a wetsuit to some degree um and yeah there's it's no surprise that Deboer is probably the most expensive uh wetsuit on the market and that has come as a result of you know we we pay for results we don't go pick it out of the catalog like i said <laughs> my mouse has definitely quivered over that checkout button a lot of times on the debor site those freaking things look <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah funny. the 3.0 this year we came out with the fjord 3.0 um which was a, a pretty big game changer we think um 
I'm not going to make any claims, but we have numbers that back up certain aspects of it. It's very hard to quantify certain data so that I can put out a, a research paper that says this is better for everybody, right? But for the athletes that we're working with, we've been pretty excited with the results that we've seen for sure. Amazing. Excited to see all that innovation. Um, so I want to jump back into you as an athlete, because I, I think your story is really cool in, in some of the amazing events and achievements you've had over the last couple of years. So you mentioned kind of your ITU part you had there. So what was your first maybe inspiration of, of the ITU part to get in there? And then uh, maybe how did you eventually shift to the extra long distance stuff here? Yeah, no, I started, like I said, 96 with kids with deal races, which is kind of like Iron Kids down in the States. Um, those those races were just so much fun, but I, like, within two years, just was like, I want to do this. Like, And then the 2000 Olympics came around, and Simon Whitfield was just, like, the, the absolute best ambassador we could have ever had mm -hmm. for that sport um, in that debut in Sydney. And, like, you know, that just lit me on fire and... Um, and then by 2000 and what was it? 2006, I was like able, like I was his roommate in Lausanne, like it was no that way. world championship so cool. and like, it was just like, is that progression that, you know, being able to, or 2007 was Lausanne. anyway, so like being able to be in that environment and just like commit to something was, uh, was pretty pretty revolutionary for me I was like pretty ADD kid you know I was but my parents found that like I could just like zero in on sport like no tomorrow so I eventually asked if I could go to like virtual school before virtual school was kind of like a thing like it is now post-COVID but um and then got to you know swim with the swim club and run with the track club and like all my friends were athletes and that was um that was the goal. The goal was always the Olympics. Um, and yeah, just never happened. I obviously wasn't fast enough to be at that level. Um, I'm a bigger guy for sure. And that, that made some of the qualifying races that were, you know, hilly or tough or whatever. Like I just would never run faster than like a 32. I think I ran under maybe 32 once, but at this time, like I'm in races with Alistair Brownlee, who's running 29.10. So it's like, it's not even like you're, even if you're having your best race, like the cameras are shut off by the time you get there. So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it became evident that that was the case. And I just like, I got excited about Ironman because I, you know, always heard about Ironman Penticton and I'd gone and spec, um, spent time spectating in, at, at that race. And a lot of my friends had been in that race. So I just kind of was able to shift my focus at that point that I still wanted to be involved in the sport and had no idea how to train for it. Just started entering a couple Ironman races. Um, and then at that point I was like, ah, oh, like this, I'm good at the long stuff. Like I, I'm good at like, you know, cramping up and feeling like I'm dying and stitching on the side of the road and just taking two minutes to like really breathe it out and go again and I found that a lot of people weren't very good at readapting to those situations and like looking at the long-term picture <laughs> um so then I started going you know a little bit longer went into ultraman distance racing and then started to embrace that style as racing as well um I played around with Xterra um it was the junior Xterra world champion in 2005 <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, that one just got too dangerous for me because as much as I love to handle a bike, maybe I am not the best of the bike handlers <laughs> when it comes to mountain biking. But like, there's just every part of the the sport that I'm I, I get excited about and I really enjoy. So, so cool. What did you? Is there anything uh, when you look back on your time of like being roommate with Simon that uh, that you really learned that you carried forward in your career? Yeah, that period was like a few weeks. We were based um, in Geneva and we're doing a race and Simon tore his back apart during that race, the first race, which was supposed to be a prep race for Worlds. Um, and then my fellow Albertan at the time, Paul Tischler, who was probably one of the most underrated athletes of all time. He could just like, he came, I think, I want to say sixth or seventh at, at the World Championships and no one really saw him coming. And I learned a lot from like the perspective of like how these different um, personalities all can be successful. Like, I think Paul and I were like eating chocolate bars the night before the race and just like mm -hmm. chow, yeah, like watching movies. Like, <laughs> and like when I say chow, I mean like probably four. Um, but hey, he was like just so relaxed in the way that he approached going out. <clears throat> and then I, um, I saw like at the time, um the way that uh Cal Jones handled himself another Canadian athlete that was very successful at ITU um and then some of the the, the women like Samantha McGlone um just different personalities and there was no one way to do it it seems that in this like YouTube generation <laughs> that development athletes are being exposed to it's like this is what you do. This is what Lionel does, right? Like this is what Sebastian does. And like, you have to do these things if you're going to be successful. Um, and it, it became pretty clear that like, everyone has their own process and it's okay to have a different process. You're not, you know, I was chastised for doing my workouts at night. Um, when a lot of people said, Oh no, you have to be up at 5.00 AM to train. If you're not up at 5.00 AM to train, you're not a professional athlete. And it's like, well, I was up at 5 a.m. for 10 years as a swim club kid. I'm like over it. I, I just want to sleep. and <laughs> So I, I'm okay starting a workout at three in the afternoon and doing a second one at six. Um, and that was a, just an acceptance point that it's okay to like work within your confines. You can still do okay. You can still like, you know, push your own goals, um, your own limits in that, that capacity. Uh, and that's, that was um something that then you know years later i i felt was like really appreciated by um my time with sutton um and working in that team capacity because it was totally fine with him if like you know daniela was going out for a run at a certain time and i had work to do and like i had to be on a call and he's like yeah just like you know get it done and and do your you, what makes you successful in your mind um, the same can go for not just like, obviously time of day, but like I was in the Swiss Alps and St. Moritz and I just like, I want to run mountains. Like, I just love the idea of going up and like exploring these incredibly beautiful places. And he just like wrote that into my program because that's something that was motivating me. And, um, and I felt like made me a, a stronger athlete and then and then I, I guess I gave myself the confidence that like I, I was okay to just 
train in my own capacity. And I, I think that's one thing that a lot of age groupers beat themselves up on is mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, I was supposed to be at the pool of five. I was in the pool of five. I was there at 530. I'm doing 1500 meter shakeout or i'm just gonna Day go ruined. Home. yeah <laughs> yeah it's like no you can like you can really enjoy yourself if you just accept that you know your limitations are your limitations and go from there i love that um he brought up ultraman um and i understand maybe not everyone listening knows what that is can you describe what that race is what are the distances yeah they vary a little bit um the it's a three-day race you do the equivalent of like a 10k open water swim on day one and then i think it's about 168 178k depending on the course on day one um day two is a really long ride usually about 300k and then day three is a double marathon um so 84.4k if uh i'm sorry i don't know the mileage nearly well enough yeah, we're Canadian. We do kilometers like, too. We're not going to convert that. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but um, and that race is very different in that, like, what it, it may look like a triathlon, but like day one, um, day one, as soon as you start in the water, you're thinking about okay, how can I do well, but plan for day two and day two. How do I like day two is a really mental challenge, not because you don't have good bike legs, but because you know that like you have to run two marathons tomorrow as fast as you can. And at the world championships in Kona, you literally run that course from the bike turnaround to Kona on that road. Like from Javi all the way back down. Holy. Yeah. That's the course. And having rid that ridden that as a triathlete, you know, when you're, when you're six hours into a ride the day before that, and you're trying to make moves on people and and trying to be strategic and how many minutes you want to either save or give away you have to have that understanding in your mind the next day that like, okay, I have to like start the day by running downhill. My quads are going to probably not like that too much. And then I'm going to like fry on the pavement out completely exposed for seven hours. (laughs) So that race um, is very much like a mental challenge, but it's also very strategic for the pointy end of it. Yeah. Well, it's a stage race, essentially. Like it's a completely different sport. So I know that, and it, I would imagine that the differences between training for an Ironman and training for Ultraman, sometimes I feel the difference between a half Ironman and a full Ironman is almost a completely different sport. I think that's amplified between the two um, when you shift to Ultraman. So how did your training shift when you were preparing for those races? Yeah, um, the big the big part was definitely trying to just understand that third day and how to manage it. and. Um, I'd seen some pretty impressive run times from past competitors. And it's always just like a, a, a real doubt that comes into your mind that, oh, I can't run that fast. And like, um, I don't think that that is a relevant conversation when you talk about like trying to win the race, <laughs> because the decisions you make on day one and two do affect how fast that run goes or how, how many how much other athletes have left in their legs at that point. So I prefer to race those a little bit more strategically and that then transfers into the training that, um, that is involved. So it might, the, the, the natural question I get is like, oh, so do you just like go out and ride for like 12 hours? And then like, it's like, no, I, I, I probably don't ride more than six. And like, I 
probably don't swim more than 6k straight i am pretty pretty like lucky that i grew up a swimmer from you know for for over 20 years so i've done a lot of workouts that are over 10k in the, that 20 years and i don't need to do that anymore um to get through the swim in pretty good shape but the the overall training aspect of it is a lot more about um being structurally strong enough to handle um when your left hip flexor gets tight and then you start compensating with your right knee and like that's a little bit more where my my training focus changes um i don't do gym work for the most part um i I do address like a lot of small things when it comes to mobility and, and agility. Uh, but I just simply don't have time to like, you know, spend a lot of time in the gym as well. I'm pretty busy lifestyle. So I tend to try to address those with specific work during my swim, bike and run workouts. And so outside of viewing it like a stage race, what are some of the, you said that you you approach it very strategically. What are some of those training and racing tactics that you bring to Ultraman once you're in the race day? Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of mental play that I think can go into it. Um, I've got to give like huge props to Simon Cochran, who just like set the Ultraman world record unofficial. He, he did it at a race, it's not an official Ultraman, but he went the distance and the guy went under 20 hours, which is incredibly impressive. Um, but Simon comes from like a background, almost, almost like me in some ways, he's been in the ultra running scene a lot longer. Um, but he is a pro Ironman athlete. Right. And so to see somebody else use the same sort of race strategy that I tend to, which is, you know, you go out and you, you make a gap on day one, and then you try to hold on to that gap or you manipulate the race in a way that um, other people are hoping that they're gaining on you, but you just like let that carrot go a bit. So they, they tear their legs off a little bit more for, for the next day. Um, and then just the mental, the mental games that you can play, you know, especially on the, on the start of each day, those, those situations, it's very funny, like being at a, a finish line in some of these, where it's like you chat with your buddies and like, you know, you're, you're racing, but you're friendly and, everyone has their different strategies. So like, there's just a lot that you can, um, that you can do during the race. But when it comes to planning for those things um, in training, I find that it's just about like going that one step further with yourself in some capacity when it comes to um, the mental toughness aspect of things. So like, you know, if, if you have a 160K ride plan, it's raining outside and you got Zwift set up and your bike's on the trainer, like take the bike outside, go ride in the rain, like go do the difficult choice because on race day, those are the situations that, um, that pop up that break people mentally. And so if you're constantly embracing that idea, um, of going out for a run when you don't feel good, rather than waiting for yourself to recover feel good like embrace those difficult moments without getting injured i will say um you probably have the ability to to reach into that pocket of experience um when when you're in a race situation i i had one workout as a kid when i was 13 years old that i still rely on every single day <laughs> every single race at some point and like we did 
uh, a swim camp where the day before, I think we did something like 8,100s for the second workout of the day. And then we showed up at the pool and it was 20 times 800 meters um, on a fixed turnaround, the middle four where I am. So it was like 16K uh-huh. of swimming. And I cried in my goggles. Like I specifically remember like that. <laughs> and and you could get out and you could, but it's it, for me, it was just like that one thing that I was like, if I can survive this, I can survive like anything. And and I've like relied on that one workout experience for like almost 20 years at different times. So you know, being able to just like reflect on those times you are in difficult positions when you can easily just like say, Hey coach, I'm done. And be like, no, like, what do I have? Like, how far can I go here? Uh, it's a little bit different than, you know, maybe the stories that we hear about from, from the athletes that do have the YouTube channels and the exposure where it's all about like, well, I, I'm a perfectionist and I go in this line and everything has to turn out or, oh, maybe I'll pull out of this race today because there's another race in two weeks um, where I could save my legs for. I'm like, no, I, I think that that is a learning opportunity for anyone, even if even if it does affect something down the line, even if you might win $1,000 more the race two weeks from now, I think sticking in that moment and feeling it um, is going to make you the better athlete overall every time, so. All right. Then like you talked about riding in the rain in those tough days, like you can look at your Ironman Wisconsin uh, race from last year. That's a perfect example of that. Yeah. Ironman Wisconsin was a, a blast. That was probably, was my, I was fourth um, in that race. You know, you lined up with like Ben Hoffman and Andy Potts and like some, some really solid guys um, that we uh, that are ex- extremely intimidating to go up against when like you know you can't run as fast as them like I, I there's no there's no world I run what Hoffman runs um but when it came out that it was going to be like six degrees that you know by the time he got onto the bike I was like like you know, I live in the mountains like I'm used to being cold I I just didn't like really embrace that and I was like no like I'm just gonna go out there I know how to control my body um in extreme environments probably better than most and I made the decision to like do whatever I could and and manage um the heat aspect of things the best I could because at the end of the day I I really felt a lot of that race came down to your ability to um control your body and the way the race developed is like I was having um a a fairly decent swim I really struggle with standing up I get orthostatic hypertension at the end of of swims um so I was really dizzy and in Wisconsin you go up a parking garage spiral for the transition run up it's just like continuously going around these circles <laughs> up and up and up. And I was like, definitely woozy. And I lost the group. Um, and I was so glad I did at that time. I was like, okay, like, this is my race now. Like, I'm just going to stay in my own head. Um, I think me and Brent were the only ones that didn't put on a jacket. And I really thought that like, I can control my breathing, even when I'm uh, racing in a way that like will warm myself internally. I can I can really like focus in on the breathing aspect of things to uh, you know still stay somewhat aero rather than wearing a, uh, a, a kite out there um, into the headwinds that were really strong and just like chip away and chip away. 
um, but I never saw like a media moto. Uh, I never saw another competitor unless I was passing them on the bike. And so I really came off the bike. I had no idea where I was. I could have been 10th. I could have been fifth. I, 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 you know, I knew other than like, I knew Cody Beals was up the road and I knew Brent McMahon were up the road and I didn't see those guys quitting. Um, <clears throat> they're pulling out of the race. So I had a feeling that if I could just get eyes on them at some point on the course, I'd have an idea of where I was. And I didn't get that until like the 22 K mark. So I just stuck to my paces and, and tried to push into the headwinds, gale force winds on, on some of those corners where you go down along the water and, and someone's like, Oh, like, Hey, you, you're in the top five. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, that's great to hear. Like, I had no, literally no idea where I was um in the field and uh ended up yeah one spot off the podium and fourth but that was just one of those experiences where I think I did rely so much on um those tougher moments that I've had in in racing and training and you know just being able to to be comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah you can do it in all conditions the heat of Kona or the freezing cold Wisconsin <laughs> windy hills oh man that's a wild course <laughs> and you've raced almost like every flavor of triathlon from like ITU to like Ultraman do you have a favorite oh yeah they're all they're just all different I I do love the Ironman distance um I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really disappointed that like PTO has come out and said that this is like the distance they don't really care about. Um, you know, I was really optimistic when the PTO first came around and they said to us, Hey, like we're here for the long course athletes. Um, and then, and then for them to like formally come out and say, well, we're here for the middle distance athletes. <laughs> like that, that hurts as someone who like, I'm never going to run under 109 again off the bike. Like, so I'm not going to be, you know, making my career at, at that distance, um, 70.3 or shorter in the case of the hundred K distance at the PTO. So just the, the dismissal of Ironman athletes at that point, when like the sport was very much built on the Ironman athletes, the history of the sport is you know the mark allen's the dave scott's uh greg welch's it's, it's just like that that part is still a little bit frustrating to me that like i love that distance um and i love how those races have to you have to prove a certain level of fortitude no matter how fit or talented you are um yeah that that is my favorite distance, but I'm a little bit sad for sure that like it's been dismissed in the past year or two from the pro rankings. Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. And I would imagine that it almost feels short after the distances that you do with Ultraman. Um, and you, you blow those up. Like I know that last year you came second at, is it the extreme man, uh, or the Canada man extreme try. Um, yeah. so second place there, does that mean that you're going to be going to, uh, the world championships this year? Yeah. So I'm, I have, uh, have my spot booked going to Norseman, which is like where they hold extra, extra world championships. Um, <clears throat> the pros, I think just go off a little bit before, but the, uh, that, that I'm like really looking forward to, um, like Keenlay's in the race this year, Bravolt, who's won it last year. I've raced um, a guy by the name um, Hovda before, who's like won that race. And like, those are all incredibly strong individuals with very, 
um, very persistent mentalities about them. And like that, that just excites me to be able to like get into race situations where that's the, the overall mentality. Um, it's also a very, <clears throat> very select race, you know, only 200 and I think 50 total get into that race every year. So, you know, I heard about it first 20 years ago too. Um, so to have, the opportunity to put yourself out there on a course like that, uh, which has this, this history, um, about it. That is just like almost, um, it's almost mystical in the triathlon world that, yeah, it, it should be a good day regardless. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think anything that can happen out there short of like, you know, having a mechanical that hundred percent takes you out of the race would mar the experience like whatever happens on that day is like an authentic form of your of, of a race situation but also an authentic form of who you are as an athlete so and your comments about what you did in wisconsin you're you're built for this race it's like very cold so the fact that you can sort of warm yourself from the inside i think that's going to serve you well <laughs> yeah that is like that is a benefit for sure but i'm uh I think I'm probably one of the only uh, quote unquote pro Clydesdales in the world <laughs> because I'm, I'm like over six, five, you know, I don't cut a lot of weight um, on race day. I, I struggled with like adrenal fatigue and whatnot when I was uh, <clears throat> coming out of the ITU period. Um, so I'm, I do try to be just a little bit more attentive to the, the fact that I, <clears throat> I need to, enjoy what I'm doing. I need to be healthy for sure. But I've seen a lot of athletes put themselves in really unhealthy positions by cutting weight at races and whatnot. Um, and I do attribute like my longevity in the sport to the ability to just like be okay with who you are on race day. Um, and not look in the mirror and be like, Oh, like, I wish I had a little bit more defined six pack or like, Oh, I'm not going to race well because of it. You know, I, I was able to overcome any, any sort of um, issues that might come along with the self-image of being a bigger guy, uh, but I'm also like, I, I can throw down some, some solid watts on the bike and that does come at the expense of having like bigger quads and bigger hamstrings mm -hmm. and like, it's not always a bad thing. Um, the, the more difficult part of going into Norseman is definitely, um, as is the case with a lot of X tribes, the final ascent is usually up a mountain. It's usually on a single track trail. Um, so any decision that I make earlier in that race will have to set me up in a position. If I want to be competitive, I have to be in a very, very competitive position before that final climb. So how long is that final climb typically up the mountain? <clears throat> um, in Canada, man, which I've raced a couple times now, I, it's, I, I think a total of eight K, but that eight K, um, you know, it's, you can't possibly like run the whole thing it's it's too technical it's like you know you run with poles um so you got to work on foot placement and pole work and you also just have to um prepare yourself on the earlier part of the run that you're going to have to have some coordination by that point in, mm -hmm. in the race so i think that it's a little bit shorter um the actual technical running at norseman but a large part of that race is on what they call zombie hill which is just a it's a paved road but it's just a non unrelenting uphill that that just does not stop right so there's no there's no reprieve of like going down a little hill for 
200 meters. It's like, yeah, you just go up 10 plus K. So, <laughs> oh my. You know what? Strangely, this makes me want to do this race. That one has been on my radar for a long time. Um, So I'm excited. I'm mentally adding that one. But um, so we've talked about your racing and you are incredibly talented and have had so many achievements there. You have full-time job and you also, we glossed over the fact that you race direct. And I know that you have a race that you're putting on in Canmore. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm putting on my gravel race this year. Um, I put it on last year. <clears throat> I previously put together mostly just running races, um, but this this time around, I wanted to do something that like really just showcases like where I live. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever followed like, uh, well, you probably have followed the TTL podcast, but obviously like Paula's family has a, a place here in Canmore and Eric and I have done a lot of training in, on the trails that that gravel race um, takes place on and I think he has some videos of like some of the single track and, and whatnot it's just such a cool place at the Canmore Nordic Center where they held the um, the Olympics for uh, cross-country skiing back in 88 that those ski trails are just like they're just so much fun on a gravel bike it's probably a, considered to be one of the more aggressive courses in terms of the amount of elevation gain and whatnot but that that just seemed like something that I loved training on. I've really enjoyed getting away from cars as much as possible. And these gravel bikes have been like so good for that, that I want to see like so many more pros riding gravel bikes for training. Mm -hmm. It's just like, especially in this past four weeks, we've been Yeah. So bad. Um, like Rudy Van Berg, you know, hit by a car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my teammate, Laura Sedal going down, I don't know. I don't know the uh, specifics, but going down in Ironman Brazil and like, it's just, it's really um, crazy to just see that it, it seems to be more dangerous at points, but I do attribute also a lot of the strength I find on the bike from just riding gravel because it's a higher resistance. So. Yeah, gravel and it you build out that strength. And I love that it also makes you a better technical rider. And I think that that's a huge advantage. I know you said that you're looking for Nice, and I think your background in mountain biking and gravel riding is going to be a huge benefit when you look at, you know, how technical that is. It's going to be a wild course. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, it, <laughs> that descent. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the type of stuff that gets me so excited. Like that descent, if I could make it into that race, I know that like, I think Matt Hansen might training buddy was he was not all that happy about that descent but um I think that those wasn't alone (laughs) yeah I think that those types of things in races are going to be pretty interesting just as long as everyone stays safe obviously but really bring strategy into the game in a totally different level um yeah so that's why that's why I went with a, a gravel race I really enjoy being somewhat involved in the community and over the course of like you know putting on different races for years I have the equipment for it so I may as well like use it for something that I feel brings a community together I love that and outside of you know try, uh working to qualify for Nice walk us through what your race schedule looks like for 2023 yeah I'm trying to keep it um somewhat open for sure like because this uh, race in uh Australia could really change that direction um you know no matter how it turns out but I leave the day after Australia um, and I fly to Germany for work. So I'll be at Roth, um, representing the boar. We have a, a swim challenge. Uh, we're taking over kind of like the pool for that week. You have so such a cool job, any- Jordan. 
Yeah. So if anyone wants to come by and you're you're going to be in um, in Germany, like definitely come by, check with what say hi. <laughs> um, and and so yeah, I have to maneuver around work and I have to maneuver around a couple other things when I put a schedule together. But for the most part, I think um, I'd like to you know stay in the Banff Gamora area for July and then Norseman and then. Um, if I was to not qualify for Nice, I would probably take a shot at Penticton. Um, there's a there's a male pro race in Ironman Canada this year, and, and then start looking forward to either a 2024 birth Kona or just like really focusing on the Ultraman World Championships because uh, just word on the street, Simon Simon Cochran's coming all the way to Ultraman Canada to get his qualifying spot so that he can race it. So wow. showdown, let's go. Yeah, that's exciting. So that would be, yeah, it, it, it really would be actually. Um, yeah, I, mean, I have a lot of respect for some of those Ultraman guys, but I think racing against Simon would be a totally different situation. I've done three Ultra races and I've never lost one because my my day one is generally quite a bit ahead of everyone else's. I generally am pretty good at that first one by combo. But Simon's like, Simon's got the same combo, right? Like he's just as good on day. So that would completely throw off any strategy that I've ever used in the past. Shoulder to <laughs> shoulder for 20 straight hours down the Queen K. Epic. Yeah. Oh, this will be so fun. Um, yeah. So you've enjoyed like 25 years of it, like an incredible career. Uh, you've done so many different events. Do you have anything that's left that's a bucket list item for you? Oh, so many. They keep coming up. They keep growing. You know? I like, love that this, answer. This... <laughs> it's like, I, you think you could be done with the sport. It's like, I don't think I, I, I ever could be. There's so many like new things that pop up that um, are so intriguing. Like, I love the idea of... Um, somebody at some point taking an ultra distance race onto gravel um yeah. i have a like i designed a course of course like where i live where i'm like oh so i have here and you rode there and you ran this trail run it would be just the most amazing like distance endurance race that gets you off the tarmac um so if like, you ever race direct that i will come i will put that on my bucket list <laughs> excellent well I, i'm glad i at least have the very first person yeah <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing. Um, yeah, but like, you know, at the end of the day, I love playing in um, in really cool environments. I'm extremely lucky. I don't take any of it for granted. The fact that like I I get to like go the places I go and, and you know, race um, for a living. And it was hard through COVID because like, you know, lost every sponsor I ever had. Wasn't sure if I was going to come back. Um, but last year, like uh, Sam Chi at Speedhound, they make the the compression boots. Like he just invested in me and said, like I, I think you still have like a lot more to show the triathlon world. And it, without that, I probably wouldn't be in the position I'm in this year, um, where I'm able to like really chase down like the you know new and exciting goals. So um, that's that's something I'm I'm really grateful for. But the other part of it is just like to be able to to stay healthy for this many years is like, it's not something you can just take for granted either. 
No, but you seem to, like, you talked a lot about your mindset in the work that you did there to just accept it for what it is. And it seems like you bring that to your workouts too. Uh, you're not, I, sometimes if you're too stringent with it, you're forcing your body to do things it can't do on that day. And just the, you're so relaxed of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm in the mountains, so I want to run mountains. So let's adjust my programming for that. I think that that's a testament to how long of a career you've been able to have and the fact that you have so much left. Yeah. And I think like the enjoyment factor is part of it, but, um, through, um, through about a three or four year period, I really struggled. Um, I had a crash at Patagon man that I went down at about 55 kilometers an hour. Um, I landed on my face. I had to have like the nose and stuff all reconstructed Jeez. over the course of like eight months. Um, I couldn't breathe out of my nose for pretty much a year, like at all. Whoa. And that, some people say that's like altitude training times too. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> but I, I got over that. I got over, you know, the concussion, which took a while. Um, and never really ran well again for like three or four years. I was just like, I thought like, Oh, well maybe I just like, I'm not doing the speed work I did in the track club or whatever. And early last season, the other thing that really changed for me is I started seeing a massage therapist and I I've seen massage like on and off but the girl that I started seeing um was really really good with like finding things in the body that I think most people would overlook and she started working into my neck and <clears throat> said hey like I want you to come back for two 90 minute sessions I'm not going to charge you for them they're going to be free I just want to, I want to work on your neck. There's something going on there that, you know, you're, you're in a very unfamiliar position with the way that things are sitting. Um, and after that second session with her, I went out and I dropped 25 seconds per K on my run Whoa. over anything I'd been able to do in like years. Like it was, it was such a dramatic change that like, I was sore for days because I was using muscles in ways that I couldn't. I wasn't, I, I just simply hadn't used them. Um, and that like, that was such a, like such a game changer for me to be like, oh, I've been running in pain for four years. Like, I didn't know that, like you do it long enough. Um, and it wasn't completely attributed to that crash in Patagonia. That something, uh, you know, effectively got stuck, body started protecting itself and it just never really let go. So just to have that, I think, um, is a great, is a, 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 a great lesson for other people to like, also like pay attention to some of those things that you don't see coming and, and like the smaller details can be the biggest details at the same time. Yeah. Athletic therapy makes a world of difference. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jordan, no, but, to, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, um, as someone who like, you know, didn't grow up with the most amount of money by any means. It, that was the first thing to go. It was always like any sort of therapy um, with massage, physio, Cairo. Like, it's just like, you just didn't pay for it. It was too expensive. And and then like, when you invest in yourself in, in that way, it sounds a little cliche. I think it, it made the biggest difference for me. So. And we're all lucky for it because you've been doing some epic things. But we'd love to know who is your endurance icon? My endurance icon, man, so many, so many. Killing Journey is definitely up there, the ultra runner. Um, but I definitely like, I get a lot of motivation from just seeing anyone who 
puts themselves out there in a, a capacity that requires um, the high probability of failure. <laughs> and it's very easy to look towards, um, you know, the icons of the sport. Um, but I, I tend to look at the um, self-resolve of others a little bit more. One of the most motivating people is a woman um, who used to volunteer at my races. And her, um, she took care of her granddaughter when her mom could no longer take care of her. And her granddaughter, Nikki, um, ended up like co-race directing with me, just like a phenomenal person at 12 years old, right? But her grandmother was overweight, decided that at like 68, I think she decided that she was gonna commit to running every day. And she ran, walked, 5k every day for like over 400 days before she had an accident and then after she recovered from a knee injury I think she's in her 70s now she does it every single day and like those sorts of people like those are the people that I'm like oh I don't want to go to the pool today I'm just gonna take it off and like you get on Strava and I see Dawn on there and I'm like oh Dawn went out and it was raining today and she did her 5k. And I, I guess I'm a professional athlete. I should probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like those people, I, I really see a lot of a beauty and joy in those other individuals that they put themselves in those uncomfortable positions just to be a little bit better. Well, shout out to Dawn. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how can people follow your journey? Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram at Jordan Bryden. Um, I manage the Deborah account, um, but like that's that's the the main go to is Instagram at this point. I do uh, I do enjoy the photo aspect of things because that's my background, but I don't have any other really socials um, apart from that. Just uh, I manage a lot of other people's <laughs> social media, so it gets to be a, a, a bit too much when it's you plus all of that. Right? I know I can see why you don't want to suddenly have all these additional channels because each one needs a different strategy with different content. So I, yeah. Instagram, that's awesome. Well, thank Instagram you so is. much, Jordan. It was awesome to chat with you. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was great time with you guys too. Go crush it in Australia. We'll be cheering you on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it should be, it should be fun regardless. I just like was previewing the course before I got on this call and it, like, yeah, how can you not like enjoy the opportunity to to go there? And yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Any should, be, predi- should be any predictions? Any predictions for Challenge Roth? Because you're heading there right after too. Uh, who you got? A, who you got for the win on the men's and women's side? It's a pretty epic field. I like Bakugard. I just like like I know a lot of people <laughs> would go with D Live right now, um, but like I don't know. I really he's do. Like, he's like, do. Yeah, Daniel's just like, he's got a different personality. And like, you know, I, I'm impartial, obviously, to the Deborah, the Deborah athletes that I get to interact with. But like, that's, uh, yeah, that's a good one. And I think, like, could you, you couldn't really look past, it's Laura Phillips, right? Like, on, is it Annie um, racing too? I think she's Yeah, I guess, well, I guess, yeah, after Annie's run at the last uh, PC. And Chelsea in there too, Daniela. That's a, yeah. that's a stacked field. It's going to be good. You oh, get a front yeah. row seat. <laughs> exactly. I'm yeah, I'm glad to be there to uh to watch. <laughs> it'll, it'll it'll probably be the it'll probably be one of the biggest shows we see at the Ironman distance for sure this year because there's so much more emphasis in terms of the media going around the PTO races now that um 
I'm, I'm excited to see what they put together. I raced the race once before and it was the best experience. Like, it's just like, it's so much different than anything else in the triathlon space. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, we're looking forward to catching up with you again in the future and uh, happy travels. Best of luck. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. Wow. How great was that? I always learn so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training and we'll see you back next week.